Hello there, welcome to another episode of This Week in History. This week, ladies and gentlemen, we have an episode that I am so excited for. Um, maybe when saying so excited, you probably might get the wrong aspects of that when you've actually read the title. It might not be excited is maybe the wrong word, but a, a fantastic episode um, that has been well, very, very well researched by uh, by my dad, he's done uh, an extremely good job on this one, and uh, that's the beer opening. So <laughs> don't worry about that. Uh, I tried to keep it quiet. I know you did. Yeah, <laughs> don't worry. I'll be opening mine in a minute. But um, yeah, we are talking about well, the most famous man in history. I, I would say I don't think there's anybody more famous than this man. I, um, I think you're probably right. Actually, yeah. yes. You know, I don't think there is anybody who who can compare with this. There are others who are similar in in part in the past, yeah. but I don't. I think this is it. Yeah. So, who are we going to be talking about? Would it Would it be rude to call him the Führer, or should we Should we just no, no? It? You could call him call him what you like. Yeah. There, are, uh, there are a few people out there that will call him a lot of other things as yes. well. <laughs> Definitely. Um, well, we're talking about uh, the man with the moustache, Adolf Hitler. We are. Yeah, and. Uh, absolutely fantastic this because obviously being a historian studying history i've taught about adolf hitler in school when i when i was working in school teaching the kids uh about adolf hitler and what i used to love doing was pros and cons because when you talk to teenagers all you'll get is cons that's that's all you'll ever get and i made a point of putting not pro i mean it's hard to say pros when you're talking about adolf hitler but it's very difficult, and I hope I've done justice yeah. to this. Genocide aside, he did actually do some good things for the country. We will find out. Yeah, we will indeed. So this is this is really exciting for me because, like I said, I, I do little bits and pieces, but the, the depth that you will have gone into this is more than... What I would probably have researched, so... It's taken me a couple of months to put it, all the research together and then condense it Yeah, into things. I haven't put everything in, um, and I've tried to be as unbiased as possible. Yeah, and that's that's the... You know, for, for anyone listening, I would say go into this with an open mind because there are preconceived notions about Adolf Hitler and some of the stuff may portray him in a, a better light than what you would <laughs> yeah do you know what i mean but what i'm saying is to everyone just we're not going to take away from the end result of what he did um by talking about his life and and things like that so yeah it, take it away this, this okay. is the show's yours dad lovely right this is probably the hardest podcast that i have actually had to do or had to do um chose to do. chose to do <laughs> And if you're expecting a justification or reasons for what this man was able to do, you are going to be disappointed. Mm. If you're looking to understand the dictator again, I'm afraid you're not going to find any answers here. What you will get is a short history of the man himself. Now, I could have approached this episode on so many different levels, but I've decided to limit it to being about the man and not the details done under his leadership. Yeah, no, I agree with that, and that's that's what I mean when you know we we can't ever forget the final solution. Yeah, 
And there is no doubt that he is the most recognisable person in the whole of European history, if not the world. <laughs> and probably the only man in history to, desire, to totally destroy his own country, a name, a style of facial hair, and a whole generation of fellow countrymen. Yeah. Was he evil? Quite possibly. <laughs> he was certainly the leader of one of the worst regimes in history, and along with others throughout history, has gone down as presiding over some of the world's worst atrocities, although this was in living memory. Now, there's a misheld belief that Adolf Hitler was part Jewish. Mm-hmm. Now, this stems from the fact that his father was illegitimate. All right, his father, his father's mother, um, and thus Hitler's grandmother, a lady called Maria Anna Schickelruber, was a she was a peasant, and she lived in a rural area in northwest Austria. And it was believed that she had been employed as a housekeeper to a Jewish family, and she gave birth to a son called Aloysius. She refused to reveal the identity of the father, so on the birth certificate, in the baptismal register, he was listed as illegitimate. Now, rumours suggested that the family's 19-year-old son was the father. No record of this family can ever be found, and most historians who have researched it, they dismiss the claim that Aloysius was Jewish. Right, okay. Now, during his life, Aloysius changed his name twice, uh, from Schickelgruber to Heidler, and eventually to Hitler. The last change being in 1877, and no reason can be found for this. We don't know why he changed his name. So, looking at that, Adolf was born in Austria. He was not German. Mm-hmm. Right, he was born on the 29th of April, 1889, at about half past six in the evening on Easter Saturday. He was the third of six children born to Aloysius Heidler, or Hitler, and his third wife, Clara Poltz. The family were Catholic Christians. His father already had two children, uh, Angela and Aloysius Jr., with a previous wife. Uh, and it's long been reported that Adolf Hitler was act, was the fourth of six, but new documents have proved that he was, in fact, the third of six. Right, okay. Okay, although he was the third child, his two older siblings had died in infancy. So Gustav died in 1885, and he was aged seven months. And Ida was born in 1887, and she died after three months. So Adolf Hitler was actually the oldest. Right, okay. Although he was the third to be born. His brother Otto, who was born after Adolf, he died in uh, 1892 after six days. Wow. So you've got Adolf Hitler is the only surviving child child of of four. Wow. Okay. So this left the last two, and they were Edmund and Paula. Edmund and Adolf are reported to have been very, very close, with Adolf 
he's a bit of a loner when he was young, and to be honest, Edmund was his only friend. Wow. It doesn't his, surprise me that he was brother, a bit of a loner. Yeah, his brother was his brother was his only friend. Um, they tried unsuccessfully to protect each other when their father became violent, which, believe it or not, was a very common occurrence. Aloysius Hitler would come home after being out drinking. He'd beat his wife. He'd beat his children for any minor misdemeanor. And um, this had an effect. And the young Adolf learnt from a very early age that strength and brutality overcame weakness Mm -hmm. but despite all this Adolf was above average intelligence he liked to read now unfortunately Edmund his brother died when he was six he died from measles in 1900 that's when Edmund was six years old and Adolf was ten and it hit him very hard. Uh, He became withdrawn, depressed, his school grades went down um, and he'd constantly visit Edmund's grave at night and stare at the stars. This left Adolf with only one full sibling, uh, his sister Paula. She had been born in nineteen uh, eighteen ninety six. I get that wrong. Didn't yeah, I? I do that every time. Don't worry. Uh, but she would actually outlive her brother by fifteen years, and she died of natural causes in nineteen sixty, under the name Paula Wolf. Now Adolf was very close to his mother, who on many occasions, according to her to- her doctor, took the beatings from her husband instead of her children. But you can't describe the young Adolf. As, as as a mother's boy, especially in modern terms. Mm. Yeah. So 1900 saw the family move to Linz in Germany. And uh, there were four of them. And uh, the young Adolf went to high school. And, uh, and it was most likely there that he acquired the doctrine that would remain with him for the rest of his life. He had a history teacher called Leopold Pooch who preached uh, to the whole class about German nationalism and, obviously, German history, because they'd moved from Austria to Germany. And he instilled in his class that it was great to be German and there was a patriotism that, uh, that young Adolf actually reveled in. And he began to believe that the German race was better than everybody else. In other words superior to all other races and that all german speaking countries of the world should be should be uh united in one empire and that philosophy actually would stay with him for the rest of his life so he's gone to this school and he's had this teacher and 1907 adolf left secondary school to go to vienna Now, this was at the time one of Europe's greatest cities. Uh, He was financed by the benefits and support from his mother, who sent him an allowance, to be honest, without his father's knowledge, because his dad would have not not approved. And the young Adolf wanted to study fine arts and train at the uh, Academy of Arts in Vienna. So he took a load of drawings with him. And, I mean, the young Hitler was 
an artist. He could draw. He applied to join the Academy of Arts in Vienna. And on his intake, over 100 candidates applied. Only 28 would make it. Hitler was not one of them. The Academy's assessment of his pictures were, there were reasonable drawings, the heads were poorly done, but there's no great talent. That was their report. This first rejection, it didn't actually deter him, so he made a second attempt to join the Academy. This was rejected as well. Third applications were not allowed, so his dreams of being an artist were actually shattered. Uh, the director of the academy, however, recommended he apply to the School of Architecture because his drawings were good, but not good enough. Yeah. Unfortunately, because Adolf had not finished secondary school, he didn't have any ac academic qualifications. So it wasn't an option. But the school at Vienna, the art school, didn't know that. In December 1907, his mother died of breast cancer. Now, he was very close to his mother. And as is normal when somebody dies that you're very close to, you look for someone to blame. Mm -hmm. And... <clears throat> Hitler looked for this someone to blame and because the family doctor that his mother had been seeing uh, ended up top of the list. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, and her death had a profound effect on the 18-year-old and sent him right into depression. So he's blaming the doctor for not diagnosing his mother quickly enough and, yeah. and, and, and helping her. And he makes no attempt to find a job and therefore he joins the ranks of the unemployed uh, in uh, in the city of Vienna. Now, he eventually ends up in a hostel for the homeless, which at the beginning of the 20th century was not a place anybody would volunteer to be. It's not like they are today. And life in the dormitory was hard, brutal, and to survive, you had to be harder and more violent than the rest. <clears throat> And, well, this is where he learnt the brutality that would stay with him for the rest of his life. Mm. That's understandable. Uh, I mean, to survive, he started to earn money as a labourer and selling postcards of watercolours of the city he lived in, which was Vienna. Uh, he moved from hostel to hostel and began to rep basically resent the cosmopolitan multiculturalism of that particular city. He was skint. I don't know if that's an American word. Is that an American word? Yeah, I would have thought so. Skint? Skint. No money. <laughs> no. Poor. Yeah, very poor. And in his mind, he saw one particular group thriving with all its members appearing to be better off than him. Guess what the group was? <laughs> <laughs> this group were different. They stood out, they were all dressed alike, they appeared to have money, they kept to themselves, they rarely interacted with others. And yeah, we're talking about Vienna's Jewish population, um, the majority of which had come from the East. So the Russian states, the, the sort of the Slavic states. In fact, with around 150,000 actual registered Jewish people, it made Vienna the focal point of Austria's Jewish population. There was just literally 
there and they were the, a, a vast majority. Bit like gold is green. Bit like gold is green, yeah. yeah. Like all congregate, like, do you know what I mean? It's, which you do find with immigrants anyway. That's not a dig. It's just when one community, they stay together. Do you know what yeah. I mean? That's, that's what I meant by that. And gold is green is, is a similar place in London for... Mm. Trouble is, all of these facts resulted in a large proportion of the city's residents becoming anti-Semitic. Mm. You know, um, how can we? You know, like in the UK at the moment, we have immigrants coming over from France. Yeah. So if you can blame the immigrants coming over from France for things, that's what you will do. In the southern part of America, you have the Mexicans, the Latinos. Yeah. A lot of them are blamed for. Problems. Problems, yeah. Whether they are or not, the cause is irrelevant. They are blamed for them. Yeah. So, it, uh, these circumstances had a profound effect on the young Adolf, and it didn't help the situation when he discovered that the dealer who bought most of his paintings and sold them off cheaply was Jewish. Mm. Again, the doctor who attended his mother before he died turned out to be Jewish. Right, so he's sort of like embedding this into yeah. him now. So it, it, it was in Vienna then that, that Hitler became exposed to the racist rhetoric that, that probably contributed to his hatred of multiculturalism, the character of Vienna, the Jews in particular. But also the communists and Marxists weren't far behind. No, see, that one I understand, though. You know, I don't particularly like the communists. I'm trying to do that quietly now. It didn't work. No, it didn't work, did it? Oh, well. But, yeah, no, I, I get that with, with the communists. I, I mean, I, I don't understand Marxism or communism. And I can understand why people don't like that. But, you know... If you've got money, you won't. No. Because the the basis of communism is that everybody is equal. Nobody should have more money or more possessions than anybody else. That's the the basis of it. Which in hind, which is a lovely theory, except for people work harder than other people, and if you work harder, you deserve more money. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The theory is lovely, but in reality, it's it like, doesn't yeah. work. So at this time, Hitler was one of the many people around the world with this warped view of the world and the people in it. And I mean, it hadn't been very many years back that the Jewish population had been blamed for all the problems in Russia, and they'd been kicked out of Russia. If you go back even further, they were kicked mm. out of England for 200 years. Yeah, so that, coupled with nationalism sweeping across the countries of Europe, you know, if you were French, you wanted to be for France. If you were Belgium, you were for Belgium, and like the yeah. same as if you were, you know, German, you were for Germany. So... <clears throat> It was unfortunate for the continent's future that the young Adolf started to take an interest in politics. Yeah, no shit. Uh, the early 1910s were a period of turmoil and unrest throughout Europe, and these countries, they could see political tensions rising. Um, and Austria was no different. So Austria decided to prepare... So they decided they were going to conscript all young men into their army. Mm. Hitler's warped view of the world meant he didn't really wanted to join an army that could be used to support the Austrian populace. 
which included yeah. the foreigners, the Jewish, the Marxists, and everything else. So in May 1913, Adolf left Vienna, and he travelled to Munich in Germany, and basically left the country to avoid being drafted into the Austrian army. Yeah, he, he, didn't, he didn't want to go. No. I, ain't, I ain't fighting for the Austrians. No, I get that. I wouldn't fight for the English. He used the last of his father's inheritance to pay for this journey over to Munich. So by this time, he had become, begun to actually despise the Slavs, the uh, the Jews, the Marxists. He wasn't fond of the Hungarians, the Italians or the Romanians. Basically, he was just an arse. Yeah, anyone who's not German. <laughs> anyone that's like. not German, he just didn't like. Yeah. And all of these were going to be found in the armed forces of this Austrian Empire, which was the Austria-Hungarian Austria Empire. Yeah, which was, well, was the biggest mainland Europe, European Empire. So he goes to Munich and he changes the spelling of his name from Hitler to Heitler. So from H-I-T-L-E-R to H-I-E-T-L-E-R. So his name was Heitler. This deception didn't last very long. In the afternoon of the 18th of January 1914, he was arrested by German police for draft dodging. At the time, Germany and the Austria-Hungarian Empire had an agreement to repatriate those actually avoiding military service. So he went back to his hometown of Linz for a military fitness exam. <laughs> Guess what? He failed it. <laughs> I wonder if he did that on purpose. Well, it's possible. Um, his discharge said that he was incapable of bearing arms. This was the usual phrasing used to describe men who were too weak, too gaunt to hold a rifle for any amount of time. So Hitler got his wish and he went back to Germany. He was still in Germany when the First World War started on 28th of July 1914. And as far as Hitler was concerned, the German army wasn't as diverse as the Austria-Hungarian one. So he applied to join, conveniently failing to mention his earlier uh, rejection. So I suppose the German army wasn't quite as thorough as the Austrian-Hungarian one, um, or he'd learnt what to say. Either way, Adolf Hitler was accepted into the Bavarian army and he entered service in the 16th Bavarian Reserve Infantry Regiment. Pictures of him during this time show him without this distinctive moustache that he got, became known for. Because uh, at this time he had a full moustache and wanted the long handlebar one with the twisted ends. Yeah, that's the style he wanted. Um... Unfortunately, he realised that this would affect the gas mask that he was forced to wear. Yeah, that makes sense. As a result, he trimmed it down to what we call a toothbrush style. Very, very similar to Charlie Chaplin, who was a film star of the times. And it wasn't really a popular style. However, later on, after the war... One of his friends had actually told him that, uh, you know, it's it's not popular. And Hitler's reply during the First World War was, if it's not fashion now, 
It will be because I wear it. <laughs> talk about the arrogance of the, the bloke. I yeah. Mean, yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, during the war, Hitler served in France, Belgium, and in the first company during the ba- first Battle of Ypres in 1914. Uh, his regiment actually entered that particular battle with 3,600 men and ended it with only 611. Wow, I actually went to the battlefield there as well. Yeah? Yeah, it's amazing. Um, By December, this had been reduced further to 200, from a company of 250 to only 42. Wow. So, starts with 3,600, drops down to around about the December time, 250, and there's only 42 left in December 1914. One of which was Hitler. Wow. So either he was a really good soldier or he was really good at dodging bullets. Yeah. Now, after the battle, Hitler was actually promoted from Schutz, which is private, uh, to Gefrita, which is a lance corporal. So he became a lance corporal. Um, And he was signed to be a regimental message runner. Uh, His regiment suffered very, very heavy casualties early in the war. And his company had an 80% casualty rate. But Hitler wasn't one of these. He was reported as being a very lucky soldier. He took part in many battles. Uh, He was on the Battle of the Somme. He was on the Battle of Arras. He was on the Battle of Passchendaele. He was awarded the Iron Cross Second Class on February the 12th, 1915. That's quite impressive, actually. It's not bad. His luck ran out uh, when a shell exploded at the entrance to the dispatch runner's dugout during the Battle of the Somme. Hitler was wounded in the leg by shrapnel from this cell. He asked to be not to be evacuated, but he was too seriously injured, and he was sent back to the hospital in Belitz for two months. It's the first time away from the front in almost two years of war. So you know, that's most... quite serious when you think about, like the British um, were rotating constantly. You mm-hmm. know, the the soldiers um, in the First World War, the British Army, they would go regiment would be at, no regiment would be at the front for longer than a week, yeah. and then they'd be brought back. He did two years. Yeah. Before being injured. The difference is, like we, I always said with uh, the First World War, is the Germans had dug in. The Germans were there to stay. The British were trying to break in. So the British were always on the offensive during the First World mm. War, as the Germans were defending. And it's a lot easier to defend than to attack. I mean, the, the shell that hit the dugout killed everybody in the dugout, with the exception of one person. I mean, that's... Pretty lucky. He was quite lucky then, really. He was quite lucky, wasn't he? So, <clears throat> following his recovery and two months in the hospital, he went to Berlin. And he was appalled at the apathy and anti-war sentiment among the German civilians. He just did not get it. The German civilians didn't want the war. I think the, that was all across Europe. I think, I mean, you're talking there... 
1915 when he went back. Oh no, 1916 if it was after the Somme. So the war had been going on for a couple of years and everyone, the war was known at the start as it would be over by Christmas, you know. And yeah. I think we had this we had this huge wave in Britain as well at the start of the war of this uh, drive of everyone wanting to join up and everyone wanting to fight. And then after sort of a year of fighting, everyone went, yeah, this is, this really isn't as fun as we thought it was going to be. No. Um, so I can get I get that the anti the anti war sentiment mm. and and he actually blamed the upper classes for this sentiment that was running through the the German population mm. and he especially blamed the Jewish population because they kept to themselves he saw them as uh, conspiring to spread unrest and undermine the German war effort which realistically formed the basis for his resentment after the war so he's got all this going on that he's blaming one particular group in particular one group in particular and this idea of anti-war conspiracy involving the upper classes and the jewish population would become an obsession and it added to all the other anti-semitic notions that he'd acquired years before in vienna and to be honest it just it was it grew to his his added to his dislike of the Jewish population. Yeah. Um he actually requested to go back to the front in March nineteen seventeen. And this was accepted. Just, just before Passchendaele. Yeah. I bet he wish he had <clears throat> Um he was sent to the Western Front and he was still a loner, you know, he was still on his own, realistically. He'd sit on his own. Uh, records showed he was a good soldier. Uh, he was awarded the Black Wounded in Action Medal in 1918. That's uh, a German World War One equivalent of Purple Heart. The Americans would know about that one. Do we have uh, an equivalent? It's not um, the Victoria Cross equivalent. Well, is Victoria Cross is for acts of heroism. Uh, Purple Heart and the, uh, the, Black. the Black Wounded in Action Medal are basically if you're injured in service. Right, okay. Yeah. So they are slightly different. Um, and he actually received the Iron Cross First Class, which, to be honest, at the time, was an extreme rarity for foot soldiers. That would be the equivalent, wouldn't it? A similar equivalent. Yeah, similar of... equivalent to sort of quite a high, uh, quite a high medal. Uh, <laughs> what he tended to forget, or what he didn't actually acknowledge was the lieutenant that um, recommended him for the medal was Jewish. <laughs> yeah. Just a little fact um, he forgot. He, he would later obscure that. <clears throat> uh, despite his good record and a total of five medals, he never re progressed beyond the rank of corporal. Um, and due to his unmilitary appearance and what we call an odd personality... <laughs> um, his superiors felt he lacked leadership and uh, wouldn't command enough respect. So he was never promoted to sergeant. He certainly corrected that, didn't he? <laughs> Just a little bit. <clears throat> now, September the 28th, 1918. So we're almost coming to the end of the First World War here. There was an incident that occurred that goes down as probably one of the world's most missed opportunities. Mm. All right. It was a German retreat. The British had attacked the German, German front line 
and the British were basically running at the Germans. The Germans had turned and run. And there was a British soldier called Private Henry Tandley, and he was running with the rest of the, the British army, and he came across a wounded German soldier. He aimed his gun at this soldier, but decided he wouldn't fire the gun. He later claimed, I couldn't shoot an unarmed wounded man, so I let him go. This German acknowledged his kindness by nodding at uh, Private Tadley and disappeared. That German soldier was Adolf Hitler. Hmm. That's I mean, interesting. How different things would have turned out if Henry Tandy had shot him. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a weird one. Didn't know that. Thing is, on, on a side note, Henry Tandy would turn out to be not just another soldier. He ended up being one of Britain's most decorated soldiers during the war. Wow. So he was uh, he was our own version of a hero. And let's be honest, in the heat of something, that as horrible as it sounds, that was the right thing to do. Oh, yeah. You know, he did the, he did the right thing. You see an unarmed <clears throat> man, you, you don't shoot. No. So... Um. In the final weeks of the war, Hitler's unit actually became under chlorine gas attack. And as a result, he was injured for the second time. On this occasion, he went blind. Wow. And he was still in hospital when Germany surrendered. Now, this defeat had a profound effect on the young Adolf. Well, he wasn't that young then, was he? Mid-twenties. Mid-twenties. Um... And he couldn't understand why or how it happened. Now, again, he blamed the ruling classes for betraying the armed forces. And along with this warped view of the world, in particular, the Jewish portion of the leadership of this upper classes. Yeah. <clears throat> his blindness lasted longer than it should, and doctors became increasingly concerned. At first... They couldn't account for the vision loss until they realised it was psychological. One of the doctors, Dr Foster, told Hitler that because of all the uh, luck that he'd had during the First World War, he'd been blown up, he'd been shot, he'd been gassed, he'd been... He'd survived the biggest survived, battles of the wars. Yeah, and he'd, um, he'd survived a, a British soldier pointing gun at him and everything dr foster said that uh he was destined for greater things adolf hitler believed this and it was after this conversation that his vision started to return so the gas attack had did have a lasting effect on him um it affected his voice which made it really really raspy but he survived his vision came back now the ending of world war one was absolutely disastrous for germany because the winners imposed almost impossible conditions on the country the german empire was deconstructed <clears throat> large areas of germany were given to other nations mm-hmm Germany was not allowed to build up a navy, an army, or an air force. They had to pay the victorious countries 
compensation. I mean, this amount was staggering. It equated to $442 billion uh, at the time. Not now. Yeah, that's mental. Um, One trillion marks in the German money. So this put the German economy into freefall and resulted in extreme poverty for the majority of the population. Inflation ran riot. Prices went through the roof. The country went through what is basically known as hyper hyperinflation. A loaf of bread couldn't be purchased with even a wheelbarrow full of money. Uh, paper money was basically useless. You might as well have used it for heating. Uh, than for buying anything Germany was not a good place to be no it wasn't it really sort of people were being paid millions of German marks and it was just crazy and you couldn't buy anything because the prices were so high so following the return of his site Hitler Hitler stayed in the army and he went to army intelligence and in July 1919, he was appointed, appointed an intelligence agency. Uh, Verbindusman is the name of uh, the rank that he went to. And he was posted to a reconnaissance unit. I'm not even going to try and pronounce that, the name of the unit he went to. But he was assigned to infiltrate the German Workers' Party, the DAP. Now, the party was on the very, very fringes of the politics and was just one of many you know, similar parties that had, had come up during the end of the war. A party, a party only had 40 members. So it had, there was, you know, 40 members in a whole country. Naff all, really. And they met in a beer hall in Munich. Hitler was assigned to attend his first DAP meeting, on the 12th of September 1919, and his brief was to investigate the party and write a report on its activities for the military. In the course of this meeting, Hitler became actively involved in one of the arguments, and he was such a good speaker that the original speaker, who had the opposite view, lost the discussion. His oratory skills were noticed by the group's leader so when hitler on the order of his army superiors applied to join the party he was accepted within a week and he became party member 555 right okay so he was uh one of the first well one of the first five yeah so i hear you asking how come his membership number was that high? Yeah. If the membership was only around 40. Yeah, I just thought that. <laughs> the fact is, the party actually started its membership numbers at 500 <laughs> in order to give the impression that they had more members. <laughs> right, okay. So there was nobody from number one to number 499. They right. didn't exist. <laughs> right, okay. I was, yeah, I did think that. I was just like, he's number 500. I thought, no, there's... Yeah, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> so, he is now a member of the DAP, and he became more and more involved in the politics, so much so that he decided to leave the army and become a full-time party member. 
And I suppose at this point in his life, Hitler could be said to be an activist. Yeah, I'd say so. Right. His discharge from the army came through March the 31st, 1920. Um, and the DAP's remit itself was nationalism and anti-Semitism, which, to be honest, Hitler believed in. And he very quickly became the party's most prolific speaker. Slowly and more and more people came to hear him speak mm. at the meetings. He very quickly became the party member in charge of propaganda. And on the 24th of February 1920, he organised himself the biggest meeting that the party had ever had. 2,000 people attended this beer hall in Munich. So we've gone from... 40 members to 2,000 people hearing this gentleman basically speak. And essentially they've only come for him. Yes. So it, it was at this meeting that he instigated a change to the party's name. And he changed the name to the National Socialistic Deutsche Arbeiter Party. Okay. I think I got that right. What's it in English? The German National Socialist Workers' Party. Ah, that's easier to pronounce. Yeah, shorten that down. The Nazi Party. Yeah. Okay, so in reality, the DAP had only lasted a 13 months, 8th of January 1919 to the 24th of February 1920. And now we've got the party that everyone knows. Yes. Now, Hitler himself designed a banner for the party which later became the national flag on a side note though the swastika the crooked cross in the middle of the german flag at that time is always featured rotating anti-clockwise with one exception the german navy had it rotating anti-clockwise on one side of the flag and clockwise on the other so if you look at a German warship of World War Two, you might see the crooked swastika in the opposite direction if you're looking at it from the opposite side. That's weird. Yeah. It's not like having it on the front of a car to if you're looking at it in a rear view mirror, it's the right way round. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the the party wasn't as popular as its members would like, but it was becoming so. Um at first the meetings were confrontational, but to counter this Hitler employed a group of ex-soldiers, strong-arm members. These would attend meetings and single out those who tried to argue against the party's speakers and eject them from the hall. And they'd do it quite violently. This group became known as the Brown Shirts, and they had a leader called Ernst Röhm. Now, we've heard of him. We have, and he is he could be a subject for one of your podcasts, mm. Ernst Röhm. They all could. Now, Hitler had realised long ago, like we mentioned before, that uh, violence got things done. But he never officially instructed the SA to physically assault people. He just didn't stop them. That was kind of Hitler's remit throughout everything, wasn't it? Mm. I'm not going to tell you you can, I'm not going to tell you you can't, but I'm not going to stop you from doing it. But he did use them to protect meetings. In fact... There was an incident in September 1921 
where some of the men of the SA had disrupted a meeting of uh, the Bavarian Union, which was basically another political party. And the Nazi troublemakers all got arrested. So the brown shirts got arrested. For his part in this incident, Hitler ended up serving over a month of a three-month jail sentence. Hmm. So he was arrested for that. So he got nicked. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was a, another influence on this uh, small German political party, and that was the new leader of Italy, a, a gentleman called Benito Mussolini. And Adolf Hitler started to admire what Mussolini was doing in Italy and, and how he'd actually taken power. And basically, on uh, the uh, around about the twenty second, twenty ninth of October, nineteen twenty two, Mussolini organised a march on Rome with several thousand supporters, and and basically took over the government. That's how he did it. it was like a coup. Yeah. So <clears throat> Hitler decided that he and his party had similar support, and Hitler was now holding meetings with well over a thousand people attending just to listen to him he was going to do the same his plan was to start a revolution and he was going to do it at one of the biggest beer halls in munich where to be honest three bavarian leaders now bavaria is a, a, a sort of area of germany yeah yeah um and they were going to hold a rally so on the 8th of November 1923, Adolf Hitler took 603 SA brown shirts and surrounded the hall where this meeting was going on. He and about 20 of his associates burst into the hall. Hitler fires a shot into the ceiling and declares, The national revolution has broken out. This hall is surrounded by 600 men. Nobody is allowed to leave. Hmm. He then gives a speech denouncing the Jewish conspiracy and the Germans com uh, German government's complicity in the defeat of the First World War in 1918. The whole group then left the beer hall and started to march down towards the government buildings. The march didn't make it. The government, who were fully aware of the, uh, the party's intentions, had got the army and the police to block the route. <laughs> there was an exchange of gunfire between the two groups, and the government came out on top. 16 marchers were killed, four police officers. The man walking down the street, arm in arm at the front with Adolf Hitler at the time, was a gentleman called Max Erwin von Schuberichter. He was one of those killed. And he was right next to Hitler. He was walking arm in arm with Adolf Hitler <clears throat> at that point. He was definitely lucky then. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Hitler manages to get away. But this incident brought him and his party recognition in Germany and around the world. They weren't going to put up with this. Hitler was arrested 48 hours later and charged with high treason. In Germany at the time, treason was disloyalty. But disloyalty against one's monarch was known as high treason. Treason against a lesser superior was petty treason. I didn't think Germany had a monarch at that point. Mm, I suppose they, I, I suppose it's just against... They the, had a president, the, didn't they? Yeah, they had the chancellor, wouldn't they? I don't think... Yeah, they had a president. 
and then the Chancellor. Hitler's trial began on the 26th of February 1924, lasted until the 1st of April, and he claimed that as the leader of the incident, it was his sole responsibility. This was the first time that he used the title leader. Translation of leader? Führer. Yeah. The judges in this case were actually pro-Nazi. So they had to be dissuaded by the chief judge from letting him off. So they were just going to let him go? They were going to let him go. In the end, he was sentenced to five years in prison. But he had a fairly comfortable time, and he, you know, he didn't have much of a problem there. Um, he took the time to write a book, which he called uh, Mein Kampf. This translates in English to My Struggle, and it was published in 1925. So, although he was sentenced to five years, he only served nine months. And during that time, he realised that an army uprising was not the way to seize power. So he continued on as the leader of the Nazi party. Towards the end of 1925, he ordered the formation of a personal bodyguard. He wanted eight people, uh, not to replace the SA, but to protect the leader or Führer specifically. He called this group the Schutzstaffel. They were the original members of the SS. SS stands for Schutzstaffel. By 1945, at the end of the Second World War, it had over a quarter of a million members. And that didn't include the Waffen-SS, which was the fighting SS, and they numbered between 800 and 900,000. But it started with eight people. The SS were the ones in the concentration camps, weren't they? They were the technically the elite soldiers of, of the Third Reich. Yeah. In October 1929... Adolf Hitler met a lady called Eva Braun. This is the lady he would eventually marry. And kill. Uh, I don't think... Well, yeah, that's debatable. <laughs> we'll go into that. Yeah. <coughs> he was. Uh, she was working as a lab assistant for the uh, Nazi Party's official photographer. And he'd been introduced to her as Herr Wolf. Um, and that's a nickname that he used a lot. Right. Um, remember his sister? Mm-hmm. His sister's name when she died? Paula Wolf. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she didn't actually like him very much. She described him to friends as a gentleman of certain age with a funny moustache, a light-coloured English overcoat and carrying a big felt hat. That was her first description of, of Mr Hitler. Yeah. I don't think that's very, uh, very wrong. Yeah. So we go back to his moustache. You know when he said he, he had that hand, little, little yeah. toothbrush moustache? Do you know what some of the German populace called it? No. It's not stopper. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. It works. <laughs> just, just, yeah, that was just a, a side note there. Yeah. Um, there was 23 years difference between Adolf and Eva. Uh, but she remained with him. She became Mrs. Hitler on the 29th of April 1945, which is the day before he died. In fact, the name Adolf, believe it or not, actually means noble wolf. Mm. And that's why 
he's got uh, a lot of. Oh, there you go. You've, I'm just reading it now. I was just about to say that, but yeah, the the buildings that he had in in his Reich, the yeah. Wolf's Lair, the Wolf's Lair, think, and yeah. some of the other places. Yeah, so that's yeah that that's the reason he's been out. I'm jumping the gun here, Dad. <laughs> no, you're not. You can quite happily do that. Now, now, Germany as a country was slowly coming out of this mega inflation caused by the Second World, uh, the First World War, when the Great Depression occurred in the United States. And that just didn't affect just the US. It affected the world's economy. And because Germany had been receiving loans from America yeah, to basically prop up the hyperinflation and, and try and reduce it, when the American economy crashed, they wanted their money back. Yeah. Um, and the huge amounts of money Germany had to pay back plunged it back into financial troubles. Now, Hitler now used this to lay the blame on Germany's problem at the feet of the Jews and the communists because he believed that America was run by Jewish politicians. Right. So he believed they'd bought Germany out just to cripple them again. Yes. Okay. That's a really warped mindset, but yeah. Um... Hitler revised the ancient salute of raising the right arm at an angle with the palm of the hand facing down, now known as the German or Nazi salute. It's a criminal offence to use in certain European countries even today. But Hitler maintained he could actually hold this salute longer than anybody else. Right. What he didn't say was he made use of a spring-loaded arm brace that he wore under his clothing. So he just rested his arm on an arm brace. <laughs> That's quality. It's not quality, but it's quite funny. It is. It's, yeah, it's something you just wouldn't, you know. But he also had his own personal version of the salute. And that's where he would raise his right forearm vertically and tilt the palm of that hand backwards. Right, okay, the way you've just done that, that I'm expecting the hand then to go forwards and go, ooh, like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but if you watch some of his... Um, I've actually things. seen him do that. Yeah, that was his personal salute. Arm vertical, so bent down, yeah. then up at the elbow. Yeah, so your hand and, sort of... And then the hand back, hand. basically almost touching the shoulder. That was the Hitler's own personal salute. How that's changed over the last few years. Oh, yes. Because if that hand goes forwards, that's... Uh... Yes. <laughs> um, so, by 1930, Hitler and the Nazi Party, or the NSDA, uh, had become the second largest party in Germany. And they continued to gain popularity amongst the average German. And slowly, the rallies that Hitler and his party held became larger and larger. And in 1932, Hitler ran against Hindenburg for the position of president of Germany. The result was close, but Hitler came second. Mm. Germany was now slowly coming out of the economical disaster, so they were getting out of it. The party was still blaming the disproportionate numbers of wealthy Jewish business owners for creating the problem in the first place. And it's kind of played on fears and concerns of the general public. 
using his talking skills, his oratory skills, Hitler succeeded in the biggest and most important achievement up to this point in time. And that was the establishment of a truly national party with voters and followers drawn from different classes and different religious groups. It was a, f a feat unique in Germany at the time. And he used the slogan, Make Germany Great Again. It was banded around everywhere. I'm not saying anything. Okay. <laughs> if you've listened to the interview with Brad Meltzer, we covered that particular, just that saying in that. Cause, uh... The elections in July 1932 showed the National Socialist German Workers' Party 37.3% of the population supporting their policies. So over a third of the Germans supported the policies. That's good. That's a good... Uh, if you can get that in most places, you're, you're pretty safe, aren't you? It's not a two-party system. No. With a two-party system, you wouldn't get anywhere with no. that. But with a three, four, five... Three, four, five, yep. Yeah, that is... That's a majority. It's quite good. This is, in fact, the highest that Hitler ever gained in free elections. <laughs> I like that you've put in free elections there. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, this made the NSDAP the largest party in the German parliament. As a result, he was offered the post of vice-chancellor. Okay. So, basically, that is fourth in line to the leadership okay so it's Pre not it's president not vice president chancellor vice chancellor yeah so it's still a fairly high role in politics he declines the post because he wants the top post so he says on your bike again i kind of understand that if you've got the ambition you don't want to he was still an austrian at this point mm so he couldn't take up the top post. So in order to do so, and he and and make a challenge on Paul von Hindenburg, and he'd already done it once, but realised he wasn't German, so he couldn't do it. But he also he lost the vote anyway. He had to become a German citizen, and he did. Once he does. Hindenburg decides to make him Chancellor. To number three. Yeah. Vice President disappears, as in the post disappears. So technically Hitler is now number two. Right, okay. The President, Hindenburg, did not want him as the Chancellor... But he was influenced by other members of the government to appoint Hitler because, it was said, he is only one man and can be controlled. As a result, the Nazi party themselves were only given three posts in the cabinet. So three posts in the ruling sort of section of the government. <laughs> Albeit, one of them was the top job, Chancellor. In March 1933, Hitler replaces the old German national flag which was the old black, red and white imperial one. 
with the one that he had personally designed in 1920. The two flags were going to fly alongside each other. This changed in 1935 because of an incident which happened in New York on the 26th of July. Several hundred demonstrators assembled around the liner, the SS Bremen, which was docked there. They were protesting about anti-Jewish incidents in Germany, and a group of the protesters ripped the swastika from the front of the ship and threw it in the river. Now, New York police arrested the demonstrators that did this, and the German government issued a formal protest to the US authorities. The protesters were not prosecuted for disrespecting a national flag because it was deemed that it wasn't the German national flag. Mm. So Hitler then dropped the national flag and replaced it with the swastika, which became the yeah. German national flag. So you can actually blame America for the fact that the Nazi flag is now the around the swastika. Ah. Because right. otherwise they'd have had the. Otherwise they would have had the old, still had the German, black, red, and white. Black, red, and white. Right. <clears throat> and after the war, it went to the black, red, and yellow that we yes. know. Yeah. So despite only having three members in the cabinet, Hitler set about creating a new Germany. Second of August, nineteen thirty-four, von Hindenburg died. Hmm. Hitler was now temporarily the leader of the government he's the chancellor he's the leader of germany yeah he immediately abolishes the position of president <laughs> that's the first thing he does yeah well we won't have a president now oh dear that puts me second i'm now leader yeah i'm now in charge yeah now the way was open the unemployed were given jobs he rebuilt the military, albeit against the Treaty of Versailles, which I think you might have gone into. Not yet. No, Not yet. no, that's I won't. That's that's, that would be a good episode, the Treaty of Versailles. Yeah. All the other parties were banned, along with trade unions. He created a national youth movement for boys and girls, now, the boys being the Hitler Youth, the girls being the League of German Girls. Some of the other things that this gentleman was responsible for. This is when he was in charge. This is when he was in charge. Germany was the first country in the world to create laws for animal rights. Wow, didn't know that. He uh, started a program by which they gave children a certain allowance to help well-off families and assist them. So basically, child benefits. Wow. Uh, the concept of Mother's Day was introduced as a national holiday. That would be because of his relationship with his mother. He passed laws to ban smoking in public places. We only did that about 15 years ago, wasn't it? Yeah. He set up a, a program called Strength Through Joy, which is where the government built holiday camps, arranged holidays and leisure activities for the population that people would apply for and they would be sent discounted holidays or concert tickets or like buttons yeah <laughs> holiday camps and that lot <clears throat> he helped start up a car manufacturer on the premise that it would produce a car at a price everybody could afford the people's car yeah volkswagen people's car people's car 
the car that they designed would be the Beetle. Didn't he have a massive influence in the designing of the car as well? Him and Porsche had um, a massive influence on that. Um, He instigated the building of autobahns, German motorways. The best motorways in the world. Best motorways in the world. Yeah, they still are. They were... They were there were some roads very similar, but he instigated the building of a lot more. He organised the Olympics in nineteen thirty six, where more countries than ever were in attendance. Hmm. <laughs> On the downside, in that one, uh, <laughs> when uh, the American Jesse Owens won three gold medals, he actually refused to shake hands with him. Um, whether that was race based or whatever, I we think will it was. Know. I would say it probably was. I tell you what, Jesse Owens would be a good episode. Yeah, that'd be a really good one. He brought in laws to protect the indigenous German population. Now, history will show later on that that was to the detriment of all non-Aryans. But to be honest, he was for Germany. Yeah. And he took back some of the land that was taken away from Germany in 1918. By force? No. No, he he asked the people in those areas, you speak German, do you associate with Germany or do you associate with your, the country that you, uh, that took over you because we lost the war? And the votes went away and it was German. So he got the land back. Isn't that kind, the kind of exactly the same as what Putin's trying to do with the Donbass? Yes. Yeah. Even if they actually put it to a vote, the Donbass would probably mm. go back to Russia. Mm. So all of these actions were very, very popular with the majority of Germany and the population of Germany. And not only that, some of the other countries as well. Yeah, and I can actually see... I mean. If you are, I mean, a lot of people, we have it in this country, it will never happen to me. You know, that, that saying, it'll never happen to me, that won't happen to me. And I wonder if, when you read that, his list of things that he's done there, if a lot of the Jewish population were actually for Adolf Hitler at this moment in time. Very possibly, yeah. Because he has rebuilt the country from the ground up and... These people, you know, the the Jewish people that had lived there for years, and and let's not put any shadow of it. I know he's specifically looking at the wealthy Jewish population, but the ones who are run of the mill, working class, general population probably would have gone. Do you know what? He's not that bad. No, you know. Um, in fact, believe it or not, Adolf Hitler was voted Man of the Year by Time Magazine in 1938. Wow. <laughs> okay that's like they might as well have put uh prince andrew this year do you know what I mean? you know that's uh that's mental now he realized that if the german race was to be superior to all other races the german people needed more land to live in and this was the reason that he began to annex bordering states and bordering areas of germany these actions led to the most devastating war in history. Yeah. Hitler committed suicide on the 30th of April 1945 along with his wife and that was just as the Russian forces were closing in on his Führer bunker in Berlin. Forget conspiracy theories, both bodies were removed from the bunker, 
burnt to ashes as per his request. Um, and he, he was scared that the Russians would abuse his body in the same way as they had done his friend Mussolini. Well, that was the Italians that did it to Mussolini. It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't the Russians. But he was scared it. that that was going to yeah. happen to him. So they basically burnt him and his wife to ashes. Yeah. Now, believe it or not, there were a number of Hitler supporters in other countries who came very, very close to doing the same thing. And we're talking about uh, a person called uh, Jacques Doriot in France. Mm -hmm. Oswald Mosley in the UK. He's on my hit list to do an episode for, Oswald Mosley. And a gentleman called Fritz Kuhn in the United States. The US is an interesting one because the US really got behind the Nazis. There were massive, there were Nazi rallies in Washington. Um, there's a, a picture of a rally in Washington of um, George Washington behind a swastika or in front of a swastika. There are pictures of Hitler Youth visiting the UK and marching down streets in London and some of the northern towns with swastikas mm. and being marched alongside Boy Scouts and Boys Brigade people mm -hmm. and other UK youth movements. That's in the UK. And there were famous <clears throat> Nazis as well. Like a lot of... Like Henry Ford, for example, is a, a very famous yeah. Nazi. Charles Lindbergh. Yeah, Lindbergh. Yeah. He's on the hit list as well, isn't he, Dad? He certainly is. I mean, all of those three had substantial backing before the start of 1939. And all of them agreed with the actual policy of the Nazi party. I mean, I'm assuming, just quickly, that they they agreed with the policy but for their own country. Because I can't imagine Oswald Mosley wanted everyone to be German. No. He, you know, he, he agreed with the concept, but for British people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Each country, yeah, it's for its own. Um, I mean, before Hitler took Germany on this ill-fated foreign excursion... <laughs> that's, that's a nice way of putting the Second World War. An ill-fated foreign excursion. He was actually good for Germany. He dragged them out of the Great Depression. He transferred transformed the country from being the sick man of Europe into a superpower and he did it in six years Yeah, um, he rebuilt the German military, he annexed the borderlands that were full of ethnic Germans uh, if he had just retired in 1938 he would probably have been one of Germany's greatest leaders mm. I mean this is obviously Jewish ghettos yeah. and concentration camps yeah. aside Here's some interesting facts for you, because that's realistically the story of Adolf Hitler. Yeah, yeah, to be honest, he was pretty quiet during the Second World War. Other than being in charge, you know, he wasn't really... Well, I don't know if it's me or whether that's that's us, but obviously we hear, we hear Winston Churchill's speeches. We know FDR's speeches. We know that Stalin uh, put the, the brakes on the the blitzkrieg coming into uh, into russia um we know about those three leaders and what they did during the second world war we don't really know that much about hitler and what he did you know we know that we know himmler, what was done under yeah. his name yeah but not what he, yes yeah, yeah. Know, like himmler for example was the main man behind the the final solution with the jewish population mm -hmm. that wasn't hitler hitler didn't decide that it, whether he knew or not i mean he obviously knew but well here's some facts that you probably didn't know hitler's reich lasted a little more than 12 years mm. yeah he expected it to last a thousand 
Yeah, right? he did. It was called the Third Reich. The First Reich was medieval, and it was the early Roman, Holy Roman Empire, 800 to 1806. thousand years. The Second Reich was the German Empire, 1871 to 1918. Yeah. So his was the Third Reich. Yeah, makes sense. The actual purpose of his domestic and foreign policies was to accumulate more living space for the German-speaking people. Yeah. Hitler never learnt to drive. He didn't have a driving licence. I say I don't ever remember seeing him drive, but I suppose you don't need to if you're chauffeur-driven everywhere. Hitler never put his signature on any paperwork relating to genocide committed in the concentration camps... Nor did he ever visit any. See, that's really interesting because, to me, when we talk about the war crimes at the end of the Second World War and the German officers and uh, politicians and things that were all executed because of their involvement in the genocide, if the law is the law and everyone is innocent until proven guilty... And there has to be no reasonable doubt that anyone that they, that they weren't available for this crime. Then, if he never signed any paperwork to say that he agreed with the genocide or he wanted the genocide to go ahead, and there's no evidence of him ever visiting any of these places where this happened, would that not necessarily interesting on theory. law by law would that not make him? It would at least cause reasonable doubt. Well, there we it's, go. Do you know what I mean? I, I mean, obviously, it's really stupid because all of these things were done in his name and he was obviously... And he was the leader and basically yeah. had to take responsibility. But, but, but it does yeah. beg the question, doesn't it? It certainly does. He was a vegetarian. Oh, he's lost me now. No. Okay. <laughs> if he wasn't bad for for killing everyone, the fact that he was a vegetarian just makes... <laughs> he carried his mother's picture with him right down to his last day in the bunker. So he was a mummy's boy then. (laughs) (laughs) After his death, there was a second Fuhrer. Was there really? Admiral Karl Donitz. uh, Sorry, 2nd of May to the 23rd of May. He became leader of the German party. He was tried at the Nuremberg trials. He was sentenced to 10 years. He died 24th of December 1980. Hmm. Admiral Donitz. So he was the second he was the the second Führer. I didn't even know there was one. Now, you just mentioned this because I've got it in my notes, <laughs> right? Had he not committed suicide in 1945, he would have been put on trial with all the other leading Nazis and like them would have been found guilty. Oh yeah, he definitely would have been, but I just there is definitely reasonable but doubt here's there. Here's the controversy. Given that international laws regarding human rights and war crimes didn't exist until after the Second World War, the crimes committed under his leadership were not actually against German law at the time. Okay. So that would suggest that every Nazi who was found guilty and executed after the Nuremberg trials technically shouldn't have been executed 
It's a very, very controversial subject. Mm. Now, just because others disagree with another country's laws doesn't mean that those countries can impose those laws on them. Yeah. We might disagree with some countries' laws, but that doesn't mean we can go to them and say, you're wrong. Yeah. Change it. Because if that was the case, you could find the US gun laws might be on the list. Yeah, and the fact that most of the Middle Eastern countries throw gay people off buildings. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. I mean, we all know that the Second World War began in 1939 as a result of Germany entering Poland on the pretext of being invited by German speakers. It was France and Germany, uh, France and Britain who declared war on Germany. Germany did not declare war on France and Britain. That is true, but then we did give him enough warnings. I mean, Neville Chamberlain was pretty pretty relaxed until he declared war. He did turn around and say to him, right, you've entered here, no more. Okay, now you've entered here, no more. If you do that again, we're going to... Oh, yeah. You but, know, he, he was given enough warnings but, before. But Germany didn't declare war on, on on Britain and France. I believe, if I'm right, that in the First World War, Germany didn't declare war either. No, Austria they... declared war on Serbia... Russia declared war on Austria, and Britain and France got involved, and then Germany got involved. Mm. So again, Germany wasn't technically, they weren't the aggressors in either war. No. So There's so much I could have said, and I, to be honest, I've tried to give basic facts without any bias, um, and it's been a very hard subject to cover. I mean, I've tried to keep the emotion out of it. There is no doubt that Hitler presided over the worst regime in modern history and the atrocities done under his name on his leadership were absolutely appalling but aside from his regime invading russia he only went into neighboring countries on the premise of protecting ethnic germans that lived there it was the other countries that declared war on germany mm. so here's something to think about what crimes did Adolf Hitler personally commit? And remember this, history is always written by the victors. Yes, yes it is. I mean, there are some little known sort of facts that you might yeah, might want to come up with. Um, Fords supplied Germany with 160,000 trucks during the Second World War. I did say Henry Ford was a big fan of Ford's manufactured the turbines for the V2 rocket wow Fanta which is a soft drink yeah uh, was developed by the Nazi party because the US re withdrew the syrup for Coca-Cola at the <laughs> start of the war so, so they needed a soft drink so Fanta is a Nazi invention quality right I love Fanta I might stop drinking that now Hugo Boss, the designer, yes. designed all the uniforms for the SS, the Nazi leadership, and the Hitler Youth. Yeah, I, I've heard about that. That was massive, that one. Uh, Jägermeister, that sort of German drink, mm -hmm. is developed by the Nazi party because they couldn't get certain other drinks. I love Jägermeister. I didn't realise that. <laughs> Bayer, which is an American company, yeah. now, now, 
developed Zyklon B, which was the gas that was used in the camps. Wow. Methadone was developed by the Nazis as a pain relief. Um, the US nicked the research at the end of the war and now use it for heroin addiction. The US nicked a lot of things at the end of the war. Some of it was pretty fantastic when you look at the Apollo, everything mm. like the Well, you look at Siemens. It became has has become one of the largest companies in the world. But it was started up using workers supplied by the concentration camps and some of their early factories were actually inside the concentration camps. Wow. That I didn't know. And IBM, which is a large Computer subsidiary company. company in Germany, uh, developed data processing and for the Nazis. For the Nazis. So there's, there's a lot that uh, that you know you can't say was good because overall the yeah. whole thing was bad. Yeah, it's like saying Jimmy Savile. We can forgive him for all of that because he did loads of charity work. You can't. Do you know what I mean? It, the, mm. the, the the bad outweighs the good. So no matter what he did do, it doesn't it doesn't shake the fact that he killed six million people. Or more than that. But um, in in six, his name six million yeah. Jewish people. He was the leader of the group that killed six million Jewish people and probably nine million Russians. Mm. I think more Russians died than more the, Russians yeah. died. And then you gotta remember, you know, the, and it the was un- the worst, most most ca- the most lethal war in history yeah and it was callous as well i mean it's not like it was just you know it was it was brutal and uh for those of you who listen to the show regularly um you won't know because we haven't told anyone but we're making a special trip this year aren't we we are yeah so uh we're actually off to auschwitz birkenau to uh which is something i've wanted to do for my whole life um and we're going to probably one of the well it is the biggest concentration camp it's the the main one yeah yeah so uh that would be that be interesting visit there and, yeah. yeah yeah we'll uh we'll do updates so that's not till may um but we're going to do a few we'll do a few might notes. revisit your um Auschwitz one I'll listen to that on the plane so I know everything <laughs> and I get there and I can go that's there that's there yeah but there we go you know i mean <clears throat> Hitler wasn't a nice person. No. Or, or was he? No, I don't... Was I, his circumstances made him into the person that he actually ended up being? I think I think that's... I mean, for those of you who are on Patreon, um, you'll know I did my serial killer documentaries and my serial killer things, um, and all but one of those was very, very badly mistreated as a child. Um and it, it does go to show, you know, that the kids who who aren't brought up in a nice, loving home and don't have the support at home, a lot of them do rebel. But I mean, there's a difference between, you know, rebelling and, and killing a few people to uh, going out on mass genocide and killing over, mm-hmm. you know, 15 million people and starting the bloodiest war in human history and. There's a bit of a difference, do you know what I mean? But no, Hitler was—he was definitely to blame. Um, for well, he, it. he was the leader of the of the group that instigated all of that. Yeah. So and you know, if you're not—if you no one's not sure after listening to this, to not sure if he is a 
you know where where you land on Hitler. Just go and read Mein Kampf because I think, I mean that I've I've read it. It it's pretty bad. Um, yeah, you know he pretty much spells out. I essentially the the book might as well just be called I don't like the Jews. Um, it would have been just as good as my struggle. It, it was. It's pretty bad. Um, so there's no denying that. You know he had no love loss there. You know, and if he was aware of what was going on, he was probably quite happy to turn a blind eye to it. I think he was probably definitely aware of what was going on, and yeah, yeah it's uh, that's it. But I've tried my best to give you um, a non-biased, a non-biased synopsis, uh, very basic, but. Um, and hopefully it's not been that bad. No, well, it's uh, it's fantastic. I mean, like I said, I've been looking forward to this one. I knew it was going to be a long episode, so uh, I, for those of you who are still with us, um, you know, well done for listening. It's the longest episode we've done. I think it's the longest episode. It will be the longest one on the podcast. I wasn't sure if it was going to go into two episodes, but I don't think we need to for that. If it was going nearer to two hours, then I'd have, I'd have put it into two. So it will go into a stay as one one big chunk but um you know like i said i've been really looking forward to this one because i knew there were i thought i knew the story and there's a lot there that i didn't know and i'm pretty sure everyone listening to this is going to be the same i mean the fact that twice and i mean he came within a hairline fracture of dying you know that that gunshot at the munich putsch that was inches from hitting adolf hitler the British soldier who decided not to kill him because he was unarmed. And, I mean, I do go back to the fact that I don't think it would have changed history. I just think we'd have had a different face to history. I don't... I think with the movement and the way things are going, fringe parties like fascism and communism, they only ever take control when a country is on its knees, and Germany was definitely on its knees on more than one occasion throughout the 20s and 30s. So... I think a fringe party would have come in. I think there would have been a very similar outcome, but Hitler was just the man. He was the he was, he was the right the, man in the, the right he place. Was the man in the right place, or the wrong man the in the wrong place. Yeah, yeah. He he was the man that, that that took it on. But there we go. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you very very much. Yeah, again, and uh, I'm sure we'll have you back on pretty soon. Yeah, we've got some good ones. Yeah, in we the have got some, Yeah, we have some that we might have to give a bit of a. A bit of a uh, a warning to some of the American <laughs> listeners beforehand. Oh, and, you're talking about that one? Yeah, I'm talking about that one. Oh, now. yes. Yeah, we okay. Might, <laughs> we might rustle a few feathers with that one. It would be a fantastic episode. Um, and to be honest, Dad, I know nothing about it. Absolutely nothing. It's not something we've ever covered in history. It's not something I've ever even been interested in, in looking into. Um, considering I live, what, 10 miles from the town where these guys came from. Um, I'll say no more on that. But uh, yeah, I, I think that will be a fantastic episode. But there may be a bit of a, a discretion advice advisory <laughs> before that because we might upset a few people with that one there. It's only the truth. Yeah, no, exactly. But the truth hurts sometimes, doesn't it? It depends <laughs> on... Yeah, it does depend on where you're taught and what you're taught. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. So, well, thank you very much. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. 
Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.